Welcome to the Firetime Podcast, where it's never hot enough, slow is fast, and the way to win is to make it so stupidly easy to buy from you that there's no excuse not to. I'm your host, Tim Reed. And as always, thank you so much for tuning into the Firetime Podcast. I am so excited that you are listening to this today. Now, Today's episode is a really good one. It is with a living legend from our industry, none other than Jerry Eisenhower. Now, if you don't know Jerry, you know, I, I think I first heard about him about three years ago listening to the Guys and Trucks podcast, which had a special section where Jerry would give business advice. But Jerry is a coach and a mentor in our industry, and he's done stuff at the retailer level, the distributor, and the manufacturer level. And I just can't wait for you to hear this conversation with him. Now, what I really appreciate about Jerry is that he has built an online training platform that's called the CVC Success Group. And I think that that's actually partnered with the HPBA to get people discount rates on online training. But Jerry has just been an amazing resource to me personally. I was on his podcast a little while ago talking about onboarding. And recently, I actually recorded an onboarding seminar for his online platform. And what's really cool about this is that our conversation starts with training. We get into the value of why it's so important to train technically proficient people, both on the sales end, in the service and the installation end, but then how do you go about doing that? I mean, every business wants to have trained people, but at the end of the day, it's super expensive to send them out to a manufacturer or to go to a regional training thing. So we get into how online training is a huge value and has to be taken advantage of. You know, we turn the conversation to millennials naturally because that's where a lot of our workforce is that's coming in now. And a lot of millennials have not been raised with the technical skills to do service and installation work on products that we sell. And so what I found personally, now I'll lay my cards on the table, I am a millennial, but what I found personally is that it's not that we don't have enough people out there, it's that there's good people, we just have to train them. And I found firsthand that training millennials can be an amazing thing that can really move the needle in your business. Now before we jump into the interview, I want to just pass on a speaking gig that I'll be doing in the Midwest. If you live in the Kansas City area, I'm going to be talking at the Midwest HPBA conference, which is actually going to be at Top Golf. I mean, you can't beat that, right? But it's going to be on June 4th and 5th. And what's going to happen is I'll be speaking on June 4th about leadership, sales, and marketing. It's going to go really, really heavy into that. I have two courses that I'll be going through. And then on June 5th, I'll actually be sitting on a panel to talk about the impending implications of the NSPS. So if your business is going to be affected by that, or if you want to move the needle with your sales and marketing, make sure to come to the Midwest HP. HPBA conference and you can go to midwesthpba.org and I'll see you guys there in Kansas City. Now with all that said, I hope you enjoy this interview with Jerry. I can't wait for you guys to hear what he has to say. Joining me from Concord, North Carolina is the president of the CVC Success Group, the man, the myth, the legend. I am joined by Jerry Eisenhower. How are you doing, Jerry? Doing great, brother. That's a heck of an introduction. I'm honored. I'm thrilled. And hey, um, you know, it's an honor to be here with you today, Tim. Oh, man. Well, I mean, I'm really stoked that you're taking the time to do this. Jerry, I mean, you're, you're a legend in this industry and you are doing some really cool things. But for people that aren't familiar with your content, can you tell us just a little bit about yourself? 
Sure. So everybody will know, I got started in the hearth and the chimney service industry in the early 80s, first becoming a chimney sweep. The next step was we opened up a retail operation about nine months later, went through a lot of changes in that, went into hearth. We were into outdoor living products. We were kind of the first on the East Coast that went into outdoor living, outdoor rooms, outdoor kitchens. Then we opened up a manufacturing business called IBD Outdoor Rooms. From that point in the year 2010, due to a lot of changes that you can read about in my book, Chaos to Reinvention, I became a full-time coach and consultant to the industry. I had been pouring my energies in from a volunteer standpoint for a lot of years, serving in a lot of volunteer capacities, and several people said, Jerry, you need to be a coach. You need to be a consultant. These guys need you, and that was kind of what launched me into doing what I'm doing now. Wow. So you have like literally done everything in the industry, right? I feel like it sometimes. <laughs> and, you know, one of the, and that's one of the things is I was in this industry when it was in its infancy. And, you know, this is one of the things we were able to absorb things slowly as they came about as code changes, as different things came about, we were able to absorb them as they came. And today, this is one of the challenges with new hires is there's 40 years of experience in many of our heads, and getting that out to people is tough to do. Oh, yeah. I'm so glad you went that direction. And I want to go to training in just a second. But one thing I'm really excited about having you on today is that, you know, I'm out here in like the upper <laughs> northwest corner of the United States. And I've been getting a little bit of flack for saying I don't have much southern representation on the show. And I'm, I'm glad that we got a good old southern boy on the show today. Well, some people may think it's Gomer Powell or Andy Griffith here. <laughs> uh, you know, what can they say? They say I do have somewhat of an accent, Tim. <laughs> I've heard that. Well, Jerry, I want to talk with you about training because, you know, you run the CBC Success Group and you're, I mean, your training both in person and online is just unbelievable. And the way that I came into contact with your content was years and years ago on the Guys and Trucks podcast, which became the Blue Collar Proud Show that Taylor and Carter, who have been guests of this show, did in the past. And I remember listening to you and thinking, holy cow, Like this guy really knows what's going on. So you have been on this training mission for years. Why is it more important than ever right now? Okay, yeah, I got started training in uh, probably 1983, Tim. I presented the first seminar I ever did publicly for August West, which was selling chimney sweep equipment back in those days. But from there, it progressed working with state associations, national associations, and presenting training across the country. And I traveled for quite a few years while I had my hearth and my chimney service business, I was actually doing a lot of travel. We had set the systems up in our business that I was able to do a whole lot from a volunteer standpoint and as an instructor. So training for years is something I've done, and now we're adapting it to today's world and what we can do in training today using virtual means that were not available at one time. Yeah, I mean, for me, I mean, I got to I gotta play the card that I'm a millennial here, but I think that online training is just unbelievable. Now, you can't ever beat in person, but in person is expensive. I mean, I'm just thinking about if I'm going to send guys out to, you know, the Midwest for training, holy cow, for a three-day training, we're talking about like a five to $10,000 investment by the time you take into account overtime, housing, food, plane tickets, lost revenue that would be had if they were working in the store. It's a big investment, isn't it? 
It's a very big one. In fact, we did some number studies, Tim, of what it cost you to train someone. And in this, we took in what that person would have earned for your company on an average day. And these were what we found. If you had a seminar in your town with no travel and you paid $99 entry fee, that seminar cost you by the end of the day with the downtime that you lost and everything else, a little over $2,000. Holy cow. Now, if you had if you had to travel, plane tickets, rental cars, it quickly went to an amount of close to $3,000 for a day of training. And like I said, I travel and do a lot of training, which means they bring me in, they've got to pay my daily fee for the training, and they've got to transport me, house me, all those kind of things. But we still get a very high demand for that. In fact, I'm doing training next week in Pennsylvania under that. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to knock in-person training because if you can get people to it, there's no substitute. But, man, I, I think that online training is, is really where it's at. And one thing that I'd love to hear you talk about, because I just heard you speak in Dallas, Texas a few weeks back, and you were talking to a group of installers about – it's actually a sales course for installers. But what I really appreciated is that you hit the training aspect so hard. And in this industry, we get really lackadaisical about it. But the truth is that we put fire in people's houses on purpose. And your people better be technically proficient. And I agree. And see, one of the problems is that was the HPBA show. And I did two classes there. And that was one that you attended. And, you know, the thing is, when you're doing a class, it's not going to reach the workers. Okay. A lot of times it may be the owner of the company or maybe the manager. But as a rule, people don't bring their whole workforces to an HPBA or a National Chimney Sweep Guild show, and then they've got to take that information back. Well, with virtual, that can be done. Like the class that you attended, I'm getting ready to put it online so the people that were there, they can share it with their employees or the people that missed it. They can still tune in through an online virtual presentation. Now, the difference in virtual like this is the big issue when I'm teaching virtually, I'm sitting here looking at a computer screen, just like I'm looking at now when I'm teaching in person, I can use the facial features and read people of what they are saying. And I can involve people. And you saw me do that in that class <laughs> where I would ask someone a question and then turn that question back and become a challenge to them from their answer. And that's one of the advantages of the in-person. I can develop a much more close relationship and effectively do more from that from that in-person approach. So in-person by far is the greatest way for many people. But the problem is it's expensive. I mean, let's face it. I have to make a living. I'm traveling around the country. Plane flights aren't cheap and those kind of things. So that's where I think virtual is giving us an entirely new way to train people. And that's a big problem because we have an industry, and I said it there, that a lot of people are not trained to the extent they get a certification. And to me, certification is the beginning point. That's kindergarten. Now it's time to move to the university studies and the high school studies. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think that that's so good you said that. And I mean, a lot of companies don't even get certification, number one, which is crazy. But yeah, you're right that the certification, it's almost like it's almost like if you go out and get a college degree, that the degree is not the end-all, be-all of knowledge. That is the beginning entry point so that you can actually go out and start applying it and continue to learn, isn't it? That is correct. 
Well, and Jerry, this is what's amazing. I don't think people think about this the way that they should, but on your platform, I mean, talk about the certifications people can get and how quickly they can get them. Right. It's like if you want to be certified, we've had the NFI gas on there for the last year since we started, which is a 16 hour class. This is taught by Bob Wise. If you went to HPBA and set the Bob might have been your instructor. But one of the things that we have come to conclusion of is a half day review doesn't do it. They have a pretty high failure rate. So from Bob doing this, we have developed our own classes and we're now rolling out pellet this year. We're rolling out wood this year because NFI went through their change in their certification process where we now have the core and the design, spe- the design specialist. So we'll be putting those up. That's in the plans for this year. So a person can get any of the certifications by going through the platform and then they can test online so they don't have to go to a test center. Now, so you may not know this, Tim. I was the certification chair at NFI when the certification program first rolled out. Wow. This way they can get this training right there over a tablet, a telephone, a computer, whatever type of digital device they're using. Wow. So what? Are, so when, when a new technician comes on board or a new installer for a company that uses your CVC platform, how quickly do you find they are able to grasp the technical knowledge through your content? You're talking about the learners now, correct? The learners, yeah. A learner, if he is dedicated, we have what we call, we have six-week training programs. And in the end of six weeks, they are capable of running a truck. Now, one of the things is you got to remember, you have to keep going through continuous ongoing education. So they need to take other classes. But in six weeks, like in the world of chimney sweeping or in gas, we can take you through that you can put a competent person in the truck. Now, it's going to involve you doing some hands-on on your side. We've got ladder safety. You've got to do some hands-on with them also. But the hard part is providing that content that we provide for you to use. And then you have to be able to assign it, track it, and measure it where you know what they're doing. So if I hear you right, what you're saying is when business owners complain, I just can't find good people that the lack of training is not an excuse, that you can take a person that wants to learn and in six weeks, you can make them competent. That's correct. You have to remember in today's world, you're dealing with people that are going to have less basic skills. I mean, today's kids, they probably, if you talk to somebody that's 25 to 30 years old, they probably didn't build tree houses. They probably didn't go roaming construction sites. They probably didn't have a father that showed them in the backyard how to work with tools. So you've got to realize this. When people say there's no good people out there, there's plenty of good people, but you're going to have to put forth the effort to train them. I've got a very good friend that's involved heavily in a program he calls Put Tools in Schools. So kids understand what is a drill, what is a screwdriver. One of my clients said, you know, I'd be happy if they knew which end of the hammer to hold. And that's, that sounds kind of funny, but the problem is nobody's ever put a hammer or a screwdriver in that person's hand before. They have been, you know, they go through high school, and it's the classic thing Mike Rowe talks about. 
We're training them for jobs that don't exist and for blue collar people. And we're seeing a lot of people that are coming out of the white collar world because they're tired of sitting behind desks. So I think there's good people out there. You got to be able to connect with them. You got to be able to hire them. You got to be able to assess them. And then you got to be able to train them rapidly in a way that they get it. Well, and it's amazing too, like you said, I mean, you can find good people anywhere. A little while back when I was on your podcast, I told this story, but literally my number one salesperson is a young millennial who four years ago was working a minimum wage job at a candy store. <laughs> that was his qualification for coming on board. And over the course of three and a half, four years, we have trained him up and he's our number one salesperson making an amazing salary and just killing it. And so I think that yeah. you can find that for installers and for salespeople and for office folks too. You just have to be willing to put the time in. As a leader, if you're not willing to put the time in to train them, you know everybody's just wasting time, right? That's it. You've got to be able to put forth that effort. There's a lot of good people out there. And in your hiring systems, you got to be able to assess these people and know where you're at. What is their knowledge? What is their behavior patterns? And then that goes back to what you talked about on onboarding the class you've got on our platform. You got to bring them in and start training them right from day one. You can't just throw them out in the truck because they don't speak our language. They don't know what a BTU is. They don't know you know, they have no idea of the terms that we're using. So we got to educate them in the language that we're using. Otherwise they're lost. And once they get lost, they get discouraged. Then they become disinterested. And what happens is you have a failure and it's your fault. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Jerry. So, you know, here's something I'm thinking about too, is with with online training, I mean, this is something that I think falls on the shoulders of the business leader because you're the one as the leader that has to A, decide as a priority, B, carve out time for your people to do it, and then C, check back in to make sure it's being done. I feel like a lot of the time we're very quick to blame our new hires when really the weight of responsibility falls on us. That's exactly true. That's part of the leadership. You gotta, You have to become a servant leader. And servant leadership means that you are leading others through serving them. And that's what you've got to do to be a business leader today. You have to learn to serve the people that you lead. This is how you get a bought-in workforce and a bought-in team of what I call rock stars. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I'm so glad that you went there. I'm, I'm convinced that the only value I bring to my team is in how I serve them and that they don't exist to serve me and make my life easier. It's, it's the opposite of that. And that's the way that you win in business. So where I want to head next is this, is that if we're talking about training and servant leadership, you know, I'm just convinced that for business leaders, it is more important than ever for them to be learning and to be in coaching mentorship relationships where they are the one that's being coached. Why is that so critical for business leaders? That is so critical because often we cannot have the clarity on our own to focus down to what the issues are. Sometimes people ask me, what's the difference in a coach and a consultant? And this is the way it is. If you hired me as a consultant, my job is to deliver to you the answer. My job as a coach is to help you derive the answers that you need to have in your business. I mean, it's a common thing. Somebody will relate a problem and I'll ask them the question, but what do you think you need to do about this? So often we have the answers embedded in our minds, but through fear, 
of various things, we can't bring it to the surface. So what a coach does, think of it like an Olympic athlete that has the capability to win that gold medal. Somebody's got to be back there pushing them. And a lot of people may not know, coaches such as myself, we have coaches. In fact, I have a coaching call with a group of coaches that I subscribe to immediately after this podcast today that I take my problems to, my challenges, and I get to observe them working with other people through their challenges. Yeah, and I'm just convinced that, that that's where the gold is. And what I've found personally is that there are a lot of businesses in our industry that have had some level of success, but the owners and managers and leaders are unwilling to submit themselves to coaching. Now, that's not everybody, but I found that to be true in a lot of cases. And I think it's really sad because, sure, they might have had success up until now, but, man, with how fast things are changing, if you are not willing to be coached, I think you're going to crash and burn in the future. You're going to. And in the industry we're in, we have a lot of specific challenges because we're Small Business America. And in Small Business America, that commonly means you're working with your family members. And this presents very big challenges. And a lot of times that's where, like one of the things we do is a disc assessments so we can understand people's behavior, their communication styles. And that's why we stress that you have disc done with everybody in your company so you understand how to communicate with that person. So when you look at it, you know, We each coach from a different aspect that fits our personalities, but where we know what our clients need. And you've met Brandy, who's also one of our coaches. Yeah, yeah. And she is like a little, she's like a rat on acid, we call it. I mean, she is super active going at it. She (laughs) loves to solve problems, you know? So these are the things that coach, that people need to know. You need mentors in your life. Mentors will take you to a higher level. A good mentor is going to challenge you. And see, that's what happens also in often in leadership positions. The people that work for you, they're scared to challenge you. Well, see, that's one of the things I try to get people do. You've got to hold the leader accountable, and the leader has to be willing to be held accountable by the people that they lead, because if they're not doing what they say, they can never be an effective leader to build that team. I'm so glad that you went there, Jerry. You know, this has been one of the realizations that I've come to, and it's just the truth, is that if you are a leader in a business, you are the problem. It's not your people. It's not your systems. It is you. And with so many businesses, people at the top, whether it's owners or managers or whoever, they're wondering why they can't turn the corner. And the truth of the matter, it goes back to that saying that your system is perfectly engineered to get you the exact results that you are getting. And if we do not acknowledge as leaders that I am the problem, then we're stuck. But the beauty is when I can look at my business and say, hey, I'm the problem here, well, I can go to work on that. And I'm convinced that as we grow ourselves, we grow our businesses. Dave Ramsey talks about how if you know you as a leader are the cork that is holding your business back, and it's only as you grow that your business is able to have more capacity to win. Yeah, one of the things and one of the books I recommend to leaders is The 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership by Dr. John Maxwell. And one that I commonly talk about if I was to do, because I'm licensed to present Maxwell stuff, is I commonly focus on the law of the lid. 
and it talks about the McDonald brothers and how they had a lid that would not allow them to build that company. And that's where Ray Kroc came in, even though it's a really bad situation. He ended up stealing the company from him when it was all said and done. But he was able to take this to a higher level that the McDonald brothers could never visualize going there. So a lot of times we have these lids and that's where you've got to figure out what you suck at. You got to, and things, and this is, I had a, a client talk to me yesterday and it was like about hiring a general manager and what's the criteria. And I told him, when you hire a general manager, like you're talking about, there's two things. You want somebody that can do the things that you detest doing, whatever that is, you want someone that can fill that role. And the other thing is you have to come to the realization of what you suck at, what you're not good at. Yeah. And that's, you know, it's like Larry Winget, one of my coaches, I'll be listening to in an hour. One of the things he said, he had said in the seminar one time, do you want to know why your sales suck? It's because you suck. <laughs> okay. Because that's what causes sucky sales is the person is not connecting with the client and they suck as a salesperson. Once you realize what your weaknesses are, then you can go to a higher level. Sometimes it takes abrupt things in life to make that change. Sometimes it takes abrupt pain to make a change in a person. Okay. I've been through that change in my own life. If you had to talk to me 15 years ago, I'm a totally different person. I was then because of what I went through in the 2009 to 2000 timeframe that I tell people now, I wish I'd have went through that 20 years earlier because it would have made a dramatic difference in my entire life. Yeah. That self-awareness is so critical that, you got to have self-awareness if you are going to do anything in business. And a lot of folks don't have it. And I mean, the thing is, is that to be self-aware, it usually has to come with humility. You got to have humility to be able to look at yourself, just like you're saying and say, look, what do I suck at? You know, because if, if, if I can't be aware of that and I can't come to grips with it, then I'm wasting my time trying to grow these other people. Yeah. I calmly put it this way. The person that can make this self-realization on their own is a significant human being because many people, they have to have their ass kicked in order to get that. They have to have something. It's kind of like if you look at an alcoholic, many times for an alcoholic to reform, they have to go to the gutter. Yeah. If you ever study in alcoholism and all this, They've got to come to this self-realization, and many times it doesn't happen until they lose everything in their life that's dear to them, their family, their possessions, and this is where they get their ass kicked and say, hey, I caused this, and if I can come out of this and change, then I can become what I'm really intended to be in this world. Yeah, you're right. And I want to pivot here, Jerry, and I want to, I want to go back to the presentation that I watched you give in Dallas the other week, because honestly... I mean, it was amazing. And I've heard so much of your content. I've heard you on podcasts. I've talked to you on the phone. I have actually never seen a presentation of yours until Dallas. And the second you took the stage, I was like, holy cow, this is a level of Jerry I have not seen. This guy's done this before. He's a powerful speaker. It was a great presentation. But you were talking, it was, an, it was a class about install training in the home. And even though it was installer training, it was literally one of the best sales courses that I've ever seen. And I just wanted to ask you, you know, why has it been so important for you to teach installers who are in people's homes how to sell? 
Okay, well, the whole thing was the title of that was assessing the installation, which, and I took that to interpret it could be one of your salespeople going into a house to sell them a new fireplace and size it up. It could be a chimney sweep. So I based that on that approach. So what they're doing, they're going into the home. So the first thing they've got to do in this is they have to develop a trust within the customer. Now, like I explained in that seminar, and you heard me say several times, I'm in presentation mode in here, guys. You can't go into a house like I'm doing right now. My job is to come up here and, um, you know, and really blast it out. And that's my purpose. I'm going to, I got your attention, but what you've got to do is go in and build that trust. You got to build that relationship. You got to be able to listen to what that customer is saying, because the customer is going to tell you what they need to hear in order to sell the product or sell the service. And so often we never listen to the customer. If you remember, a lot of that was about taking notes, listen to your customer, don't interrupt them, record yourself, be able to listen to your presentation later so you can go there. But it's all about building that relationship. And to do that, you've got to be using language that the customer understands. I cut, you know, and like selling grills, if you look at it, a customer's commonly looking for, they'll come in, I'm looking for a three burner grill or a five burner grill, which you and I both know that don't mean crap in whether <laughs> that grill's going to perform the number of burners or the number of burners in a gas log. But this is what the consumer is imagining in their minds. Now, in our business years ago, when I was in the retail business, I'm in the vent-free capital of America. North and South Carolina has, and everybody that walks in the door, they wanted a vent, they wanted a gas log, and it was vent-free. But we were very successful in selling direct vent inserts because we were able to listen to the customer, listen to what their needs, and then we would come back with them with a conversation that would encourage them to go look at a direct vent product, which was much more profitable for us and much better for them. It was going to give them more of what they were looking for because they didn't have the right ideas about what they could do with the vent-free product. And please don't take that as a downgrade on vent-free product. It's just the limitations of that product most people don't realize. Yeah, well, what I love about that is that you're talking to folks that are in the home about making it easy and simplifying what they say. And, you know, it's funny because in that, I was actually teaching in the room right after you, and my course was called Make It Easy. It was about basically simplifying our processes so that we can connect with customers. And, it, you know, you get feedback after you teach these things. And one of the pieces of feedback I got, there was one lady that commented to me that this presentation is terrible for our industry. And basically, it was it was basically about how I'm ruining our industry because I'm trying to uh, make it so simple and forget about square footage and BTUs and technical specs and just sell people whatever seems to be the best. And what I, what I want to talk about is that we want to make it easy. And in that presentation, I think what she missed was, was not that I'm down on technical knowledge, but that all of our technical knowledge doesn't necessarily need to be given to the customer all at once. And I thought that you just did an amazing job in that course of hammering these people who are in customers' homes, that you have to make it simple. You have to speak their language. And that does not mean that you don't have technical knowledge and that that's not critically important. But I love how you talked about those things as not being mutually exclusive. Right. You know, it's like when I was on a retail show floor, that was one of my problems. I was too technically astute. And many times I lost the customer 
because I was talking above their level. I mean, if you're going to talk about a convective unit, you have to explain what convection is. Amen. You know, in our part of the country, everybody wants a fan. Here's a real good story. My wife was waiting on the customer one time and she was selling him a convection Travis insert. And he said, young lady, you just don't understand. I want a stove with a blower. And she <laughs> said, well, why are you so sold on that? She said, because young lady, when the power goes out, I want some heat. <laughs> now, that's a true story, Tim, but that is in their minds. And we were selling them on convection because we have a lot of ice storms and there is no power. So the convective unit's going to be your better one by far whenever you get into this situation. But many times we were losing them because we didn't properly understand by being a coaching consultant, I'm able to travel around the country and I watch people and I watch people every day lose business because of the way they answer the phone. They try to be too technical. They're not communicating with the customer. They're not giving the customer what the customer is asking for. It's like, I want my chimney swept. Fine. Now we're going to go into all the levels of inspection. Well, I don't know nothing about that. You've just thoroughly confused me in this. I just wanted my chimney swept. Okay. So you end up losing the customer because you complicated it. Yeah, you have. And I'm convinced that we lose more jobs to indecision than competition because we are actively confusing customers out of buying our products. And that's what the heart of my course was about. It was about how we have to ease up on the technical jargon and we have to speak in the language of our customers. And, you know, it's funny because I, I got all this amazing feedback of people talking about, you know, oh my gosh, I didn't realize I was guilty of this. We've been talking about BTUs and zero clearance and things without explaining it to a customer. But <laughs> there was this one person that had a had a big problem with that. I, I think that the, the big thing though is that our industry is coming to a, a fulcrum point where we haven't been disrupted yet. But if we don't start making things easier for consumers, we will be disrupted. And I don't think enough businesses are thinking progressively like that because what has worked in the past still seems to kind of work, but it's not going to continue. No, it's not. You know, it's amazing to me as I walk through that show and I see these high-end fireplaces, $30,000, $50,000 fireplaces that people are putting in. And see, a lot of times what I see is People, th we think that our customers are buying this fireplace to heat their home or whatever, and we're stuck on that. And many times they're buying it for what I call the romance of the fire, the, you know, the livability, the adding this into my home, having this as a focal point, all these different things. And it's not all about how well it heats. In fact, this is new markets to go into. And that's where you've got to open yourself up and you've got to understand that you have to communicate effectively both online and once you get them in the store. People don't realize it. Everybody is shopping online. They are coming in your store. They are armed for bear. They have done their research. And a lot of times what happens is they, you know, they're lying and we're not satisfying their needs. It's like one of the things I teach the electric fireplace market. Well, you've got to know that an electric fireplace is a media fireplace in the furniture industry. And this is one of the things, if you go searching internet words, you got to be able to know this term. If someone walks in your store and says, I want a media fireplace and you don't know what that is, you just lost a sale. If you don't know what a biofuel fireplace is, you got to know these things because these things are in demand and people want them. 
Well, I love that you talked about it being a new market because it totally is. And so what I want to ask you is this, because you work with business leaders all over the country that are part of your coaching group, and it is a new market. And with that being said, what's the most common problem that you're finding business leaders need coaching on? The biggest thing that we work with is, number one, is hiring today is very big. Everybody is convinced there's nobody out there. So we have to train them to build marketing programs to find the right people, the assessments, and those kind of things. But the bigger issue is, is people don't track and measure what their businesses did yesterday. They don't track their mistakes. They don't track their waste. And they end up repeating them. And what happens is you don't see this waste. It's like if you take a picture of your showroom, all of a sudden you're going to see things that are out of place that you've just gotten used to. And that's where waste is. And this is where a big part of the profits go to is down that waste funnel. And the only way you're going to correct that is you have to start a system of tracking and measuring your waste every single day and then building your processes. They don't understand that when there is a mistake, there's three answers for every mistake. Did you know that, Tim? There's three answers? There's three answers for everything that goes wrong in your business. These are the three things that if you look at anything that happens, this is why. So number one is you don't have a process. There is no process for how we're going to do this that the business has ever established. So everybody's working in their own little avenues. Number two is someone did not follow the process. Now, if they didn't follow the process, we've now got to figure out, is it a lack of training or is it the way the process is written? Many times we write a process up, an SOP, that a person doesn't understand. So you got to be able to use that. And number three is the process is wrong and you've got to be able to go in. But when you track and measure what's going on, your delivery issues, I don't have my parts today, fumbles in your business, it's usually going to roll down to those three answers for just about everything. And that takes being able to take a hard look in the mirror and see what's wrong. Wow, that's so good. And I love to, I mean, when you talked about the hiring process, man, I'm convinced that people, they don't have systems and processes. So it's like, we all want to hire people, but how many businesses, if you had the perfect person show up, are you even in a position to onboard them properly to get them set up for success? Or are they going to get burned out and quit in six months? No, they, you're going to throw them out with someone that doesn't know how to train them. They're going to be lost. They're going to be filled with anxiety. They're not going to. They're scared to answer the question. They, you know, they're scared to ask the question. What does a BTU? What does this mean? What is a chimney cricket? What's a crown? What's a smoke chamber? What's an afterburner bar? What's a catalytic? They've got to know these things. This is where the virtual training comes in, where we, you know, you start into this training on day one. We have people now that are putting their people through a week of classrooms solid before they ever put them in the trucks, put them on the floor. They're sitting them in front of TV screens and they're going through and they're doing quizzes and they're coming up to whole new levels. Yeah, that's unbelievable. And I love too that you're talking about tracking and measuring. Honestly, you know, when when I speak at, at different events, I talk a lot about marketing and, and advertising dollars. And I always talk about how you gotta measure the effectiveness of your marketing. And I get, you know, sometimes I'm kind of down on TV and print and some of the traditional advertising just because I, I think it's losing effectiveness. Not that it, it doesn't work, but I think it's losing effectiveness and the price is skyrocketing. But I've had people people 
push back on me huge businesses that spend, you know, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars in TV advertising. And the question I ask right back is I say, how often does someone come into your store from a TV ad? And they can't answer the question. And so what I'll do is I'll ask the whole room. I'll say, okay, everybody put your hand up in the air and you got to keep your hand raised. If you know how every single customer that walks into your store finds you and almost every hand in the room falls, there's still a couple people left. And I say, okay, perfect. Of those people that are left, how many of those folks that come in, do you know what product they looked at? Every hand falls. And I say, okay, the next step is not only do you know, need to know what they looked at, do you know if they got an estimate, if an in-home preview was scheduled? You know, and people don't know this. And I'm sitting there thinking, we can't even have a marketing conversation until we're tracking this stuff. Right. I mean, electronics, here's an amazing fact. Do you know that videos are now more, more producing on internet than they are on television? Videos are a great means to get your message out. But if nobody's listening to it, I mean, at our television here, we have over a thousand channels come through our TV. How in the world do you pinpoint where you're going to put this at? And with social media today, these are where video is going out. You know, having virtual tours of your showroom, having virtual means where you're speaking to people. It's like in hiring. One of the things we encourage, if you're going to hire people, you've got to develop a marketing program. And that needs, that needs to include a video of you telling me, why do I want to go to work for you? What's your culture? What is, what's going to draw me there? This is what draws that, that person we talk that starts with an M that everybody says is not worth a hoot today. <laughs> and they're wrong. Okay, they're wrong, Tim. Well, what are you finding about millennials? Because it is the dirty word in the industry. And I, and I am a millennial, so I'm, I'm a little bit biased. But what are you finding to be true about millennials? Yeah, it's kind of like Jeff Foxworthy. He talks about rednecks and said, and I are one. Okay, so <laughs> the first, you know, you are a millennial, Tim, but at the same time, you do not, I don't, I don't see you as the classic millennial mindset. I don't think you have anxiety. I don't think there's a lot of things there that you would possess. It's because I got spanked as a little kid. <laughs> yeah, you had, some, you had some parenting. Well, see, a lot of times I can show you 70-year-old millennials that are out here every day. Millennial is a mindset. It's not necessarily in an age group today, but there's many, like I said, 70-year-old millennials, they exist out here. So millennials here, they're eager for knowledge. They want accountability. They want expectations set. They want you to talk to them. They want you to share what you're looking for. So in order to be successful with millennials, you have to be able to communicate on the wavelength that they're there. Remember, they went through a different schooling process. They went through a process where it's like, it's amazing to me, there's no contact sports many times. It's like you can't play dodgeball or all these other things in school anymore like you did at one time. I go watch my kids play uh, coach pitch and all this, and everybody gets a score in all this. Well, these are the things that's not their fault. Yeah. As baby boomers, we did this to them. We put them into this atmosphere. And one of the things that we teach, we even have a course about this, of how to work with different generations. We put on a two-day seminar here in Concord two years ago, and it was all based on how do you understand the different generations? Because what you've got to be able to do is speak in a way that all the generations understand. And this is the really bad thing. If you think millennials are bad, they're your customers, guys and gals. 100%. This is going to be buying your product now. These are what's going This is the emerging workforce. 
the largest percentage of the workforce is now in the millennial population. Well, I totally agree. And I mean, I really think that, yeah, there are some millennials that live up to the stereotype, but man, there are so many millennials that want to be taken somewhere, just like you're saying. And I know that in our organization, we've seen huge success and we see millennials that are outperforming people that have been doing this for 25, 30 years. So, you know, if you're complacent, man, watch out for those millennials. That's it. But you're using the process to onboard and train them, Tim. Yeah. I mean, and training them is the key. Without that, you have nothing. But where I want to go, Jerry, you know, the last thing I have for you is I'm constantly seeing negativity in our industry. You know, every month when I read the industry magazines and at so many home shows and national trade shows and affiliate meetings, there a lot of the time there is just this negativity that people seem really quick to talk about the glory days and how much better things used to be. Do you believe that or do you think that there's more opportunity now than ever before? When you say the glory days, what are they referring to, Tim? You know, I don't know. Here's what I imagine in my head. I imagine like 1984. I imagine a bunch of guys in overalls throwing wood into wood stoves and comparing whose burns longer. (laughs) I don't know what they mean. Well, let's go through. And one of the courses I've taught is about the history of the industry. But if we go through it in the late 1970s, early 80s, we went through an energy crisis. You could sell a 55-gallon drum off the back of your truck People would get truckloads of wood stoves in. They were already pre-sold. There was such a high demand. But what happened in 1981 was the bottom fell out. The bottom has fallen out several times. And we go through these periods. We went through it again until one day this thing called the EPA appeared on the scene. Now, we have been told it was coming. In fact, Bob Thurman, who has invented the factory-built fireplace, he, he predicted back in those points, if we don't do something about these nasty burning wood stoves, the government's going to do it for us. But people didn't listen. And then we thought that was going to be what would take the industry down. Now, what it did, it cleared a lot of the players out. Back in those days, you go to an HBBA show, Tim, and they would be 150 to 200 stove manufacturers there. Then we went through a period of vent-free product. We went through periods of direct vent. Now we're coming up on a period of the 2020 stove. We're coming up on people of different things. Here's the whole thing. These are opportunities. I see tremendous potential for replacement of stoves. I see big potential in replacement of fireplaces that are built in walls. And again, we sold these fireplaces as forever products, and they're not. They have a lifespan. They're like a refrigerator and appliance, and they're going to come a time. They're going to have to be replaced. This is going to be enormous when people learn to sell to this and go after, and we are your fireplace changeout headquarters to replace these units. We're already doing it with wood stoves. We have wood stove changeout programs. You got to be looking at the changeout programs you're going to implement for fireplaces. But I think this industry has piles of potential, but you've got to be able to make it easy for the customer to buy. Absolutely. I mean, I'm convinced that there has never been more opportunity than there is right now, especially because so many businesses have their heads in the sand. So if you can look up, even if you're not doing it perfectly, but look at what's out there, I think you can go out and crush it. What you've got to do is look at other industries that are going through changes and it's happening all around you and observe what these companies are doing. 
What happened to Sears Roebuck? What happened to Circuit City? What happened to Best Buy? What happens to all these companies? They are on top and all of a sudden they're not. And the reason being the companies that are succeeding are offering the products and offering it in a way that the customer wants to buy it. And that's what we've got to come up with is being able to offer products and services in the way that the customer wants to buy it. Amen, brother. I love it. Well, Jerry, this has been an unbelievable conversation. Where can people get a hold of you if they want to follow up? Hey, go to our website. It is cbcsuccessgroup.com. Or if you'd like to talk to me, it's jerry at cbcsuccessgroup.com. What we try to do is help people turn their business dreams into their business realities, Tim. All right. Well, Jerry, it's been a pleasure to have you on. Thank you so much. We'll see you next time. Okay, brother. Talk to you later, man. (laughs) Take it easy. Well, I hope you guys got some great value out of that conversation. I love it every time I get the chance to talk to Jerry. You know, his stuff on training is amazing. You know, it's kind of funny. I made that comment about the person that didn't like what I had to say in Dallas. And, you know, what I don't want people to misunderstand is this, is that I don't want you to think that just because I'm talking about making it easy for the customer means that we don't need to understand technical information. We do. We absolutely need to understand it. We just don't need to vomit all of that onto our consumer. But the truth of the matter is that we are in the business of putting fire in people's houses on purpose. And so that means we better know what we're doing. So what Jerry has to say about training is so critical. Now, one thing I do want to throw out there. So Jerry's platform is called the CVC Success Group. I'll link to it in the show notes. They've got unbelievable resources on I mean, installation, service, sales, HR, any type of training that your company could need. A little while back, I recorded a course that is called Onboarding 101, How to Grow Your Company by Doing Things Right from the Beginning. Now, I am actually going to offer that temporarily for free. So if you want a taste of what the content on Jerry's platform is like, you can actually go to itsfiretime.com slash onboard and you're going to get the course that I recorded for him. It's about an hour long seminar with a handout and it's the system that I use to bring people into the team, train them up to speed and send them out to crush it. So you can go to the website itsfiretime.com slash onboard and get free access to that course for the next 30 days. Well, guys, I hope that this content is relevant to you. I'm so encouraged by all the feedback that I'm getting about the podcast. We will see you guys next time. Thanks so much for tuning in. Thank you for listening to the Firetime Podcast. To learn more, visit the website itsfiretime.com. Music from this episode was written and recorded by In Bloom out of Portland, Oregon. We thank you for listening to the Firetime Podcast, where it's never hot enough, slow is fast, And the way to win is to make it so stupidly easy to buy from you that there's no excuse not to. We'll see you next time. All in to burn.